Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to spend a few minutes with you, and thank you to all of you who have been sending us messages about this podcast. Our goal is to bring a bit of encouragement, positivity, and inspiration to our listeners each week. So today, wherever you are as you listen to this podcast, I hope what you hear today can bless your life and help you live better. By the way, if you find these podcasts helpful, you could help by sharing these podcasts with a friend. That would help us expand our mission and keep doing a little bit of good. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about an amazing mindset that can change your life. I call it never give up. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, at 6.30 p.m. on January 14, 1997, 38-year-old Stanley Stotler arrived at his home in O'Fallon, Missouri after work. When he entered the bedroom, he heard a click sound coming from the closet. And because his home had been burglarized just a month before, he reached under his mattress and pulled out his 9mm pistol, loaded it, and pointed it at the closet door. He then ordered whoever was inside to come out and said he was going to call the police. He picked up the telephone with his left hand and held the gun, aimed at the closet door in his other. The door opened and a young black man asked him not to call the police because they were looking for him. The closet was dark and the light was off. Stotler later said he kept the gun pointed at the burglar's chest for five to ten seconds before the young man closed the closet door again. As Stotler looked down at the phone to dial 911, the door opened. He saw a flash of gunfire and was shot in the right arm. The intruder then emerged from the closet and shot Stotler in the right temple and ran from the house. Stotler staggered to the kitchen and dialed 911. He said he had been shot. He didn't see what the gunman was wearing. And he said he didn't know if the burglar said anything to him. And he believed the gunman was still inside the house. Stotler was then taken to the hospital. Police believed the intruder entered through the basement window, which had been broken from the outside in, and the officers found two 25 caliber shell casings and one 9mm shell casing in the bedroom. A bullet was removed from the wall, and outside the broken basement window was a plastic grocery bag containing a CD player with headphones, 12 CDs, and power cords, none of which belonged to Stotler. St. Charles County Sheriff Ricky Lukenthaus collected three latent fingerprints from the interior of the front storm door of the house. One week later, police arrested 16-year-old Jonathan Irons, despite the fact that Erin Windhow told police she was with him at the home of a friend. She said that Irons did own a gun, but he was at his friend's house between 5 and 6 p.m. for about 45 minutes. Russell said Irons was wearing a jumpsuit like a mechanic would wear and had a couple of CDs, but not in a plastic bag. Police detective Michael Hanlon said he interrogated Irons privately, but did not record the questioning electronically. Hanlon said he also destroyed his notes of the interrogation without showing them to anyone. Hanlon said Irons first denied being at Stotler's house, then said he had been at the home, but didn't remember being inside. On February 6, Stotler, who was still in the hospital, was shown a photographic lineup that included Irons' photo. Stotler said he couldn't identify anyone, 
The detectives then asked him to take his best guess. And Stotler said the gunman could have been either the person in third position or sixth position. Irons was in third position and bore little resemblance to the person in the sixth position. After Stotler was released from the hospital, he was given a copy of all the police reports as well as a photograph of the lineup. At a preliminary hearing in March, Stotler identified Irons, who was sitting at the defense table as the gunman. Stotler would later say one of the reasons that he identified Irons was that he read on the door outside the courtroom a listing that said, State of Missouri versus Jonathan Irons. In October, Irons was tried in court. Stotler again identified him as the gunman. No physical evidence linked Irons to the crime. Deputy Lukenhaus testified that he seized a 25 caliber semi-automatic pistol in conjunction with the investigation, but no evidence was presented that linked that gun to Irons. No fingerprints were recovered from the weapon, and the 25 caliber casings recovered at the scene could not be linked to the gun. Two witnesses testified that the gun that Lukenhaus recovered looked like the gun that they saw Irons carry. Lukenhaus also testified that the fingerprints he obtained from the door belonged to Stotler, but none of them to Irons. On October 20th, 1998, after a two-day trial, a jury convicted Jonathan Irons of first-degree assault, armed criminal action, and first-degree burglary. He was sentenced to 50 years in prison. Eight years later, his appeal was denied. And Irons didn't know how he could keep trying to prove his innocence. He had little hope and was about to give up. But in 2007, a team of advocates for Irons went to the O'Fallon Police Department to examine the file in the case. The team included lawyers, former law student investigators, and concerned citizens. And they discovered a fingerprint report from the police lab that said two of the fingerprints recovered from Stotler's door were identifiable. One print belonged to Stotler, but neither of the other prints belonged to Jonathan Irons. The report showed that one remaining print was identifiable, raising the possibility that the print was left by the actual burglar who shot Stotler. They also began to discover other inconsistencies and the possibility of hiding evidence in the case. Soon it was obvious to them that Jonathan Irons did not commit the crime. Well, about the same time, perhaps the greatest high school girls basketball player in history, the Naismith Player of the Year was graduating high school. She was recruited by every major university and chose to play at the University of Connecticut, the premier program in the country. She was named Big East Freshman of the Year and an All-American. And in 2008, she was named AP Player of the Year for Collegiate Women's Basketball. During her college career, she won 150 games and lost only four. She graduated with a 3.7 GPA and was an academic All-American. She was drafted in the WNBA draft as the first overall pick by the Minnesota Lynx. Her name. Maya Moore. Maya grew up playing basketball, but also going to church, and her family served in a ministry that cared for and visited prison inmates. Just as Maya was graduating high school, she and her family met Jonathan Irons through that ministry, and Moore decided she would join the advocacy team that was helping Jonathan. Now, unlike the NBA, 
the women playing in the WNBA don't make huge salaries. Maya's base salary was $117,000. So to help maximize her income, just like other NBA players, she played overseas in the offseason. But in between basketball and other items on her busy schedule, Moore continued her work and contributed money to fund the investigation of Jonathan Irons. Her message to him was something she had learned on the basketball court. Never give up. Year after year, the battle drug on. Many times, Jonathan wanted to quit. One day, he made a rope from a worn sheet in his cell. He had lived almost two decades with the abuse and horrible conditions in prison, so he was going to take his own life. Then he closed his eyes and fell into a deep sleep. And for whatever reason, when he woke up, he remembered, never give up. Well, in 2018, his team filed a state petition challenging Iron's conviction. The petition asserted that the prosecution had failed to disclose the fingerprint report and had allowed Lukenhaus to testify falsely about the fingerprints, never disclosing the second prints that were discovered that were not Jonathan Irons. The petition also asserted that Detective Hanlon, who claimed that Irons had confessed that he had destroyed his notes, had maintained a blog after he retired. And in that blog, Hanlon bragged about his illegal and unconstitutional police misconduct during his tenure on the force. This misconduct included planting evidence at crime scenes, manufacturing false evidence to obtain a search warrant, and failing to report the misconduct of other officers. Also, it was discovered that Iron's attorney had failed to call a witness, Michelle Bokeman, who would have placed Irons at a location far enough from Stotler's home that it was logically difficult, if not impossible, for Irons to have committed the crime. Later, the judge would also fault Irons' defense lawyer for failing to establish that the gun presented in evidence had no connection either to the offense or to Irons and probably should not have been admitted at all. And despite the obvious mistakes at trial, the process of petitioning the court Uncovering evidence and bringing new evidence to light took years. It was painfully slow. Maya Moore developed a close friendship with Irons, and she felt strongly that her calling was to right the wrong, the injustice of his conviction. At the same time, over the years, Moore was exhausted. She had played eight seasons in the WNBA, each year traveling to China or Russia to play in the offseason. She was emotionally spent. And after her stellar career and winning multiple WNBA championships, there was little left to prove on the court. But there was a lot to prove in another court where Jonathan was being retried. So Maya shocked the sports world in 2019 when she decided to take a year off to advocate full-time for Irons. And by that time, she had helped fund the defense and bring the case to the circuit court judge. So in March of 2020, circuit court judge Daniel R. Green granted the petition and vacated Irons' convictions. The judge noted that the prosecution had conceded that the fingerprint report had not been disclosed. In fact, evidence showed that the bottom portion of the original report that held that fingerprint that wasn't disclosed had been covered up when it was copied. The report that was disclosed was a sanitized version. 
The Missouri Attorney General's Office appealed the ruling. On July 1, 2020, the Missouri Supreme Court rejected that appeal. That same day, the charges were dismissed and Irons was released. Almost one quarter of a century spent behind bars, Jonathan never gave up. He never gave in. Now, you and I are not likely to ever have to fight for our life or freedom to the extent that Jonathan or Maya, but we all have to fight at times and decide if we will quit, if we will give up, or if we will stay in the game. And I think it's easy to think, I can't handle what's happening, or there's no way to save my marriage, or I can't start my own business, or I can't lose the weight I've been trying to lose. We all have said something similar to ourselves before, but here's the thing. I'm certain it may not be easy or convenient, but if you keep going, if you don't give up, you will find a way. As the preacher said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Never give up. I've often thought that sometimes we get stretched to our limit to see what our limit really might be and to teach us that we can go far beyond what we thought possible. And I've also thought that we often give up just before the solution, the breakthrough, is about to happen. Many of you listening to this podcast are building a business. And if so, you've likely felt at times that you want to give up. You may even have voiced those very words. I'm going to stop or quit or give in. It's tempting to quit when you've tried and failed, when your business partner decides to quit themselves, and when you don't see immediate results from your hard work. But I'll tell you, the rewards are waiting for those who never give up. It is perhaps the crowning characteristic of most businesses and people who succeed. So how do you find and keep the courage, the attitude, the mindset to never give up? Well, it is a mindset thing and does require you open your eyes to a few things. First, I believe that more often than not, the impressions we have to do something that stretches us, to try new things, to do something that causes us to grow, come from a divine source. I believe that fresh new ideas often come from God. Why? Because I believe He is a creator. That spirit is also inside of us as well. We were not made, nor is our sole source of joy being passive in life. We were made to create, to build, to contribute. And when we give in to that spirit, for sure, we'll face challenges that may seem scary or at least stressful from time to time, but we will find true joy. I remember the first job I had in my career. It was at Procter & Gamble, an amazing company with extremely talented people. I learned from them and learned from my work for many years. But after a number of years, I felt stagnant in my thinking and my growth. And I was approached with a new opportunity to move to a big city and take on a bigger role as an executive with a major corporation. My family, however, was settled where we lived, and there was no reason to make a change. In talking about it, my wife cut right to the heart of the matter. Why do you want to uproot our family and make this change? It was a good question. But soon we both agreed that the things we would learn by making a change just might be worth the difficulty of the change. So, off to Atlanta and a new role. It wasn't perfect, 
but we became different, better people as a result. Here's what one author said and what we learned. If we're going to do anything great for God, and if we are determined never to give up on our dreams, we have to take chances. We have to be courageous. When we face situations that threaten or intimidate, we don't need to pray so much that the fear will go away as we need to pray for boldness and a courageous spirit. I can promise you, fear rarely goes away. It is not something we can get rid of. So we must learn to boldly move forward in the face of it. Now, perhaps you've had something stirring inside of you lately, but your fear or other things are holding you back from embracing the impressions that come your way. Well, put on your courageous glasses and look at the situation with a new lens. Let the spirit of creation have its day in your decision-making. And perhaps you're trying something new. And if things are difficult, remember the feeling you had when you decided to take the risk or make a change. And don't give up. Stay in the game. Next, a never-give-up mindset requires that you and I understand it takes effort. Great things have a cost. You see, too often we undertake something remarkable only to realize that it's going to take a lot more sacrifice and work and struggle than we thought. You know, for years, I watched thousands of people be excited about starting their own business. But after the excitement wore off, I saw over and over again people falter when the work of it, the struggle of it, sets in. But those who understood this simple fact from the outset of never give up tended to be successful. As Jack Ma said, never give up. Today is hard. Tomorrow will be worse. But the day after tomorrow, there will be sunshine. And you may be facing a family challenge or a habit you need to change or finally facing your need to get into shape. Today will be hard. Tomorrow will be worse. But the day after, you will find your drive. Don't give up because it gets hard. Now, some of you have seen the movie The Darkest Hour. And if you did, you had to be mesmerized, as was I, by the actor Gary Oldman's portrayal of Winston Churchill. In 1938, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain and France negotiated with Hitler. They agreed to how Germany would accommodate Czechoslovakia and cease its aggression in Europe. Chamberlain went home and declared to Britain that he had achieved peace. But in the next month, without notice, Hitler took Czechoslovakia. In November, the assault on the Jews in Austria started. In 1939, Hitler took Poland. The UK and France issued an ultimatum for Hitler to withdraw. They didn't, and Britain was then officially at war with Germany. Britain would send hundreds of thousands of troops to the Belgian border and France. German U-boats started to sink British ships. In early 1940, Norway and Denmark surrendered to Hitler. Then Germany invaded France, Belgium, and Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. It was at this time, in May of 1940, that Winston Churchill became prime minister. At the time, the U.S. was maintaining its neutrality, as was Ireland and Switzerland. Can you imagine? Hitler had kept no agreements. France, your greatest ally, is falling, and your government is hanging by a thread. It would be logical to consider settling for peace to give up. Set aside the impending doom of war, your country is economically broke. Food shortages, unemployment, hundreds of thousands of soldiers have lost their lives already 
in a war that hasn't even hit your shores. You're begging the U.S. for help with no response, and now you're trapped on all sides. You are an island with no defense. What would you do? Where would you turn? Well, many in Churchill's own government were asking him to give up, agree to Hitler's terms. You know, it's likely that you and I have felt that way in our life as we've tried to overcome a habit only to fail again and again, or trying to change a relationship and not really connecting with the other person, but hanging on for the sake of the kids or friends or whatever circumstances. We want to lose weight, but we can't find time to exercise, and then the stress of it just makes us eat more. And it just seems easier to give up. Well, you know, the interesting thing about Winston Churchill was trapped in his circumstances. He did something few other people ever do. He said, we will not surrender. We will never give up. He declared, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight in the air. We shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Now, Churchill had nothing about him that was attractive. He was short, squatty, squeaky, and less than a popular politician. He smoked constantly and smelled of it all the time. But he had something inside of him that enabled him to nobly rise, a personal power leading him to never give up despite the odds. And he led Britain and the world to victory and peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had several times in my life where I have given in so many times to a habit or circumstance or failure, I've perpetually let myself down. But like you, I've had a few times where I've said in so many words, no more. I will not give up. I will do what I can and should. I will change so that I can look back on this time in my life and these circumstances and say, I never gave up. Now, I don't know all the antagonists in your life, and I don't know all your personal struggles, and I'm not privy to your private worries, but I know you have them. We all do. And I would dare say you came here to this podcast today carrying a few of those worries along with you. And if I know anything, I know this for certain. You are of more value than your past performance, and you're greater than your habits, and you are important, loved, and precious to your maker and to us and to your team than you can imagine. You've made such a significant contribution in the past, but it's nothing, nothing compared to what you can do in the future. You are equipped, able, and fortified to make an amazing contribution still in this life. Your talents are needed, your worth priceless, and you have not retreated or moved or fallen further than can be recovered. You are strong enough to rise again. And I believe that you're here for a purpose and in your family for a reason and given the choices you're facing right now in your life, because if you don't quit, if you don't give up, you can make your life a glorious life. Never give up. Next, remember that when things get tough, you're building more than a business or a new career. You're building you. God is fashioning you for something remarkable still to come. And to do that, he needs you to stay in the game. 
And when you give yourself to the fact that God is helping you to rise, to become someone better, you find a bit more determination not to quit. You know, if you look up the word determine in the dictionary, you'll find that one of the definitions is to settle a dispute. When you go to a judge, he or she will give you a determination. And so it is with us. The first thing we must do when we face difficult things in life is to settle the dispute inside us. I want to, but it's hard. I'm willing, but unable. I set a goal, but in the difficult moments, I falter. Face your weaknesses, embrace your fears, and step up. If God has put something in your heart to do, and that thing doesn't seem to go away, keep on believing. He will bring it to pass. Cry if you have to right now. Work through your anger and frustration and doubt, but don't ever give up. Last, sometimes the past, what we long to return to, or the things that we're used to, the comforts we enjoy, entice us to quit. We look longingly back at the comfort of today, and this tempts us to quit what we're trying to do tomorrow. You know, in the scripture, a man named Lot and his family lived in a city consumed by wickedness, and God was going to destroy the city. So he sent two angels to Lot's house to tell him to take his family and flee. The angels warned them, escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stop, lest you be consumed. Well, during their escape, Lot's wife looked back, and the scripture says she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, if you and I long for the comfort of today or yesterday, I don't think you and I will turn into a pillar of salt, but the story teaches us a powerful principle. If you've decided to move forward with something in your life, a business, a decision, a change, don't look back at what you used to have or how easy it was before you made that decision because it will rob you of your life. If your life is meant to be stationary like a pillar, you might as well be salt, but you are meant to live and move and grow. So press forward, leave behind what tempts you to retreat or turn back. And don't behave as if your past is more important than your future by giving it too much of your time. If you do, it will keep you trapped in days gone by and steal your enjoyment of the present moment and your hope for the future. You know, when Lot's wife looked back, she lost her life. She lost her family. She lost her future. Don't lose the good you might achieve by looking behind you. Now, you've likely heard that in 1519, during the Spanish conquest of Mexico, Cortez, the Spanish commander, scuttled his ships so that his men had no way to return home but to conquer. Similarly, other famous battles record leaders doing the same or burning bridges behind them to ensure that the men, the army, were committed to the cause. And while the details vary, the general storyline of burning your ships is that a military leader is faced with daunting odds, often outmanned and outgunned by his opponent. And he realizes that his troops are demoralized and likely to give up if they know they have an option to retreat. So to eliminate that option, he orders the ships to be burned, which creates a much higher level of commitment and motivation. In your life and mine, perhaps we need to burn a few ships. We need to eliminate the option to quit or go back. 
Perhaps we need to burn the ship named Comfort or Familiar or burn the ship named Bad Habit, burn the ship named Regret or the ship named Guilt. Whatever it is, when we do, we firm up our resolve to see things through. And I suspect that when Maya Moore decided to quit basketball and give herself to her ministry work, that in a way she was burning a ship. She said that while in the WNBA, she felt she was drifting a bit from the Christian person she wanted to be. And by burning her ship, by committing to a new life, she freed herself up emotionally and mentally to embrace what was yet to come. And I believe this burning of her ship mindset prepared her to win in another court and set a path for a new life. Now, maybe you're facing a fear or two, and that is causing you to pause. Perhaps an uncomfortable situation is causing you to think you should just quit or give up. But as Van Gogh said, the fishermen know that the sea is dangerous and the storm is terrible, but they've never found these dangers sufficient reason for remaining ashore. I'll say again, if you felt inspired, impressed to do what you're attempting to do, don't give up. The inspired path has hard climbs, but it's full of rich learning and growth if you stay on the path. And you will arrive at the destination waiting for the very best and capable you. In your health challenges, your weight loss, your loneliness, boredom, business, team building, family, or any other challenge you're facing right now, never give up. Whatever you are facing, big or small, don't quit. Don't ever quit. Let the spirit of creation have its day in your decision-making. And watch. You will see. Soon you'll know for sure why you stayed with it. Your business will prosper. Your faith will be rewarded. Your struggle relieved. And you will find the new you that you've been seeking on the other side of never give up. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.